When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Excited today because we're going to be talking with Evan Klein, who is the founder and president of Cetric Solutions. Now, they focus more on B2B than they do B2C, but we can learn no matter what we do. And I know we're going to be talking about net promoter score uh, and, and best practices behind using that metric, which is used a lot from any type of business. But he and his specialty is B2B. So for those in that world, you definitely want to stay tuned. And everybody else, I promise you're going to learn something as well. All right, with that in mind, let's uh, a couple of quick announcements. First announcement, and I've been talking about them for the last oh couple of months or so, Text Expander. They are a sponsor, so thank you, Text Expander. And let me tell you what it feels like when I use their product. I type in five letters. Uh, I, th- I've actually created an acronym, if you will. So like if I typed in NSOC, that's all I do. And it brings up four paragraphs of text that I've already typed out. It saved it and it just drops it wherever I want to drop it in a social channel, uh, on an email. And then I personalize and tweak it a little bit. Uh, Cindy in my office says it saves her several hours a week to not have to do these repetitive emails and messages again and again. And she's got a number of these snippets, if you will, in there. More about them at the break. Before we get into the interview, though, I want to share with you some important announcements, and you know what they are if you've listened to the show before. If you've got a story that you want to share or a question you want to ask, go to any social channel. I am there. And if it is a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll answer it there. I'll answer it here. I'll answer it in my newsletter or maybe even my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home. Episodes can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, and you can go to BeAmazing.tv. That's BeAmazing.tv. All right, let's jump into the interview. Evan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chef. Great to be here. Well, I'm excited. We're going to be talking about uh, a lot of what you do is B2B, business to business. And so much of what we talk about is very general and it probably leans more toward business to consumer. So I'm excited to go more to the business to business angle. And by the way, for those listening, do not say, oh, not for me. No, I guarantee you that what we talk about today will apply to any type of business you're in, even though we're going to be focusing on some of the B2B uh, companies because they feel like, oh, Shep, you you leave us out so many times. Not today. So Evan, um, you do quite a bit at Cetrix uh, Solutions. <laughs> It's the double S. Um, You do all types of customer satisfaction surveys. You do a lot with NPS, net promoter score. Uh, You help with CABS, customer advisory boards. You do lots of different services for your clients. 
Why don't you give us like your quick elevator pitch? We just got on. We're on the ground floor and you've got, you push number 10 and I'm looking at you going, so what are you here for? Tell me what you do. That sounds good, Chef. Uh, we are a customer experience and employee engagement consulting firm. And so we work, as you noted, with uh, B2B companies primarily and uh, allowing them to keep their finger on the pulse of customer and employee sentiment. So if you think about, for example, the customer journey, there are key touch points or moments of truth that we all talk about. There are opportunities to establish listening posts at each one of those key touch points. And so you mentioned a few of the programs that we offer. So around sales, for example, sales win-loss, post onboarding implementation surveys, net promoter, advisory boards, all opportunities together, very valuable and actionable feedback from your customers. That's great. And and you specialize in the B2B world manufacturing. What what or what what areas do you you go into outside rather than me list? Let, let me just ask. Yes, it is mostly software actually. So okay. uh, probably 60% of our clients are software, then there's professional services, manufacturing. Uh, so quite a number of industries, uh, financial services, healthcare, uh, but mostly software. Great, great. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about NPS. And uh, when I talk to larger companies, uh, they say who sell B two B, they say, "Well, our customer base is very small, so the NPS score uh, is, you know, sure we'd love to know that they'd be willing to uh, recommend us." By the way, NPS Net Promoter Score, uh, which is the question on the scale of zero to ten, what's the likelihood that you would recommend us? Uh, by the way, you and I were talking about Fred Reichelt, who we interviewed on the show uh, a while back. And Fred said, uh, it doesn't even have to be zero to 10. It's the whole idea behind what you're trying to achieve. And, mm -hmm. and it just happens to be that's how it all started. So, uh, yes, businesses typically have a, a much smaller uh, customer gap, except some of those software companies, I'll bet, have tens of thousands of subscribers that right. might be in their businesses, uh, but typically, uh, you know, they're not like a consumer. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, first of all, your definition of NPS. Did I nail it for you or you want to expand on that? Yeah, the customer loyalty metric that's based on the likely to recommend question. So it's, it is quite simple. And one of the reasons we love it is because it's easy to convey the notion of net promoter and why it's important and what customer loyalty means to your employee base. That's a big part of uh, you know, having a successful net promoter program in B2B is making sure all of your employees are aligned and understand their role in the process of delivering an exceptional service experience. And net promoter is quite a simple construct that enables you to do that. Yep. Now, you said all employees. Do you really mean all employees or just employees on the front line? Oh, it's all all employees, Chef. And so, uh, yeah, the front line is obviously important, but everybody has an opportunity to action, take action based on the feedback of your customers. Think about the folks who are in product development or, uh, you know, in marketing or in sales. Uh, they're all listening closely and then leveraging the uh, feedback to think about what their role, uh, how it could change, how they can enhance the customer experience. So definitely we need all employees. What about somebody uh, that might be in a warehouse that does nothing but pack a box and ship? Yeah, well, think about it. If they don't pack the box properly, right, or if something breaks down, if there's an issue there that could ultimately impact the customer experience. Boom. So I so think, I think that, yeah. you, yep, you yeah. said it well, everybody. everybody. And that means everyone from a guy in a warehouse to the person in the mailroom to the CEO and everybody in between is involved in creating a good customer experience. Mm -hmm. By the way, I think that transfers over to any type of business, not just the B2B world. 
True. Very and true. That's what we're talking about. That's perfect. So how does NPS differ from B2B versus B2C? Well, quite a few ways, actually. So if you think about it in B2C, you know, we're all uh, individual consumers, right? We buy things, go to restaurants, go to hotels. You know, we all get surveyed. And so I think, you know, the important element around surveys is, you know, well, why should I bother taking a survey? What's in it for me? And it's a little bit hard to wrap your arms around the fact that, you know, a giant corporation after, you know, staying at a hotel or renting a car, if I respond to the survey, are they really going to act on it? Am I, it's, it's going to improve my experience the next time. In B2B, it's much more sort of one-to-one -one, that your feedback absolutely has an opportunity to affect the experience you have with that company. Think about a software uh, company. If you provide feedback around the feature functionality of a of the tool that you're using, the company, if they're doing it right, is absolutely listening and could very well alter the product roadmap to uh, you know improve upon the feature functionality going forward. So there's definitely that that what's in it for me that uh, hopefully encourages people to respond. And, and also uh, in B2B, there's a greater opportunity to close the loop, to follow up with customers after they respond to the survey, or if they don't, uh, so that you can have a deeper conversation with them and really dig in a lot more than the survey enables you to do. So those are just a few, but there's quite a few other differences in B2B and B2C. I'll, I'll list just one more, Chef, is that in, in Net Promoter world, uh, it's really a two-question survey. And in B2C, that's what a lot of companies do. They adopt this likely to recommend and the open end that follows. In B2B, you have an opportunity to ask more questions, not overly burden your customers with a 30-question you know, survey, but uh, you could certainly go beyond the two questions. And in fact, many of our clients do that because, you know, these people are spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you want to ask them for a minute or 90 seconds to answer 10 questions, that's perfectly appropriate in our view. So many of our clients, we ask Net Promoter, but we go beyond that to drill down on key drivers. Yeah, I like that idea. You know, um, I have a favorite question that I ask uh, or I suggest my clients ask, and that is after they've given us, you know, the uh, objective data and the score of zero to 10 or whatever, uh, is there one thing you can think of that would make the experience even better? It's an mm -hmm. open-ended question. And it's really interesting what some of the answers are that my clients get. But when they start to see a pattern of some of the clients saying the same thing over and over again, one thing that could make it better, they say, wait a minute, we're not doing this. This is the opportunity to improve on greatness. But I also think that there can be an outlier and one person could make a suggestion and boom, changes everything. You know, mm -hmm. they they just, wow, that was a great idea. So really being open to uh, really listening to the customer is a really, really important piece of this. Yeah. And you mentioned the open-ended questions that, you know, get so much context and, and rich feedback that go beyond just the scale on the zero to 10. Uh, you know, the zero to 10 obviously gets you the metric, gets you net promoter score. But, uh, you know, companies that are doing net promoter, right, it's more of a system or an operational discipline. And the feedback beyond the net promoter question is vitally important, especially those open-ended text comments. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned customer advisory boards when I gave a quick little rundown of the different services that you offer. And I think in, a, in well, in the consumer world, I'm sure that Apple and all those other manufacturers of products have uh, focus groups where they bring customers in and ask them questions. The customer advisory board is 
kind of like a focus group, but it's a group that you get to know on a regular basis and who are advocates of your product. And uh, I think it's a powerful thing for companies to do in order to find out, you know, hey, I want to hear firsthand from customers. What are we doing right? What can we do better? Um, so any thoughts about the cab? Yeah, well, and you mentioned it uh, firsthand. I mean, direct link to the voice of the customer. You have the entire leadership team of the host company in the room, and they're uh, asking very strategic and thoughtful questions and having dialogue with their important customers. Imagine 15 or so of some of your most important customer accounts with the, you know, the decision makers, the people who are really deciding on budgets and signing the contract. And so you know, spending three, four, five hours with them uh, multiple times a year, you can imagine how much robust and valuable insight you can get on a range of topics. So such a powerful program in the world of customer experience. Right. I love that. I love that. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you more about NPS. There are a number of naysayers out there today uh, related to NPS. I'm going, how can that be? I think it's a wonderful metric as well. Um, and I'd like to talk about how companies can really take advantage of this and move forward and and lean into the data that they get to create the better experience. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have more time with Evan Klein, the founder and president of Satrix Solutions. Don't go away. We're coming right back. Let's talk about Text Expander, a tool that allows your team to eliminate repetitive typing with just a few keystrokes. Anything you type over and over, such as customer responses, will be at your team's fingertips so they have the power to do what they do best, just faster. Quickly reply to emails and chats from a library of responses that you create, completing answers to common questions and issues. Your entire team stays on the same page with the same common responses that can be personalized on the fly. And it's simple to use. Type commonly used content into a text expander snippet and give it an abbreviation of just a few letters and symbols. Share the snippet with the team. When you type the abbreviation, it triggers the snippet and the content expands anywhere you type, including email, chat, or social media. It's that easy. Just go to www.textexpander.com to learn more about this amazing and productive tool. Sign up for a year and get 20% off. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Evan Klein of Satrix Solutions. By the way, if you want to learn more about them, just go to Satrix Solutions, S-A-T-R-I-X. I'm assuming you'll know how to spell solutions.com, satrixsolutions.com. Evan, I I know there's, I, I love Net Promoter Score. And the idea behind it is, as we talked about, is you want to find out what's the likelihood to recommend. When people are saying, I'm very likely to recommend you because I had a great experience, that's that's really why they're saying it. They like your product, they like the experience, and they're more than happy to do so. In the consumer world, when somebody gives you a high NPS score, probably hard to follow up with everybody. But if you are dealing with in the B2B world and customers that in the subscriber world, as you mentioned, your SaaS uh, models with your software providers, or you're dealing with manufacturers, you probably have a lot more at stake to lose if these people aren't not only willing to recommend, but don't renew or don't come back or, or ghost you after a period of time because they don't want to do business with you anymore. So what I want to do is uh, the I want to bust the myth that there's anything wrong with NPS, okay? Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm, and I'm sure Mr. Uh, Reichheld will be very happy with us talking about it that way. And number two, uh, after that, I want to talk about some best practices related to that. So first of all, let's do some myth busting. Is there anything wrong with the NPS measurement? You know, it's, it's funny. And actually, I listened to your episode with Fred Reichheld. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he mentioned that there's essentially a cottage industry of naysayers. And I couldn't agree more. Probably not a month goes by where on LinkedIn, I don't see someone bashing that promoter score for one reason or another. And, you know, my point of view on that is that it's probably emanating from uh, companies or individuals with two situations. One is that they're not applying best practices, so they're probably not generating as much value. Or two, uh, you know, maybe they have an alternative to sell. So I think uh, those are probably the two reasons. There's nothing inherently wrong with the question, how likely are you to recommend? I'll throw a third one in there. They tried it and they didn't like the results that they got. So they're ah. not doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Very well could be it. And, you know, look, there are there are the companies that are, are using that promoter just to get a number, right, a metric. Uh, and if that's all you're doing with it, then, you know, certainly you're leaving a lot of opportunity on the table and you might not find as much value in it. If you're not closing the loop, if you're not actioning the feedback, uh, if you're not getting strong response rates by you know, employing all the strategies to maximize participation, then yes, it's going to be a difficult exercise for you. But our clients certainly um, find tremendous amount of value. And one other thing I'll share for those who want to check out our uh, website, we have a research report on the use of Net Promoter in B2B. And we asked the question, how likely are you to recommend using Net Promoter in your relationship survey for your customers? And actually the Net Promoter score for Net Promoter, the use of Net Promoter is a plus 34. So most B2B business leaders see the value, they appreciate it, they understand how to use it, and uh, they like it. So, and by the way, a plus 34 is a pretty good score. That's right. Yeah. So uh, from minus 100 to plus 100. So if you're in the plus, especially in 30s, 40s, 50s, you do it quite well. Yep. And when you get into those, you know, you get like uh, Apple and some of those other brands that have pretty high scores and say, hey, we're as high as Apple. Well, <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. So uh, I think you've kind of opened the door because you've already mentioned some of the um, best practices, but let's dig a little bit deeper. If we were to do say three, you know, what would be the three best things we can do with that data that we get? You know, what uh, you mentioned, close the loop and the follow up and all that, but let's get specific. Um, I get this information. I've got my number. And let's just say I asked one question. It was that closed, you know, zero to 10 question. What's the likelihood you recommend? What is your recommendation on what we do with that likelihood to recommend number? Yeah, well, if you're just doing a one or two question survey, it, it is uh, it requires more effort to close the loop. Because if you see someone who, who responded with a five or a six that falls into the tr tractor camp, you have to follow up and you have to dig, dig into exactly why they feel that way. They might offer some context in the open end, right? And you can analyze the themes and patterns across all of the feedback you've received from all of your customers. But it probably does require you to spend more time with them in that follow-up endeavor to really probe and understand their frustration. Now, on the on the positive side, when, with your promoters, I mean, you have to mobilize your promoters. You have to activate them, right? Uh, and I've heard you say this on previous episodes as well. If they say they're likely to recommend, call them up and call say, them up and okay, ask them who <laughs> exactly. would you recommend me to. So, Very good. That's called mobilizing your promoters and, and also leveraging them for marketing purposes, testimonials, case studies, things of that nature. So, you know, there's tons of feedback that's going to influence your product roadmap, your maybe your service delivery model, how you invest in the year ahead. 
maybe support channels can be uh, changed or fixed or added. So there's so many ways that this feedback can be leveraged and, and is in the companies that are doing it right. Uh, but importantly, Jeff, you know, the, you can't really get there unless you have strong response rates from the right people. So you have to invite the right contacts, make sure you have a customer contact list, which includes all the personas and key contact roles. You have to maximize participation so you have really solid representative and, and statistically valid data. Uh, and then you have to action on it. You have to use it to improve the experience so that when you go back to them the next time, they recognize that this is not just a check the box exercise. It's something you're truly as an organization committed to. Uh, and they realize their feedback is being listened to and heard. Yep. If you want your customers to continue to give you feedback, show them that you're doing something with the feedback. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's key. I mean, that that is one of the most prominent drivers of the successful net promoter program because we're all over surveyed these days. And, you know, people can make a distinction between a company that just sends a survey because they feel they have to and companies that are truly invested in voice of customer driven change. So I think that's some of the differentiators there for companies that are doing it right. I'm looking right now for uh, my report. We did a whole section on surveys this year. And uh, what was really interesting to me is that the survey fatigue issue that's out there with people getting uh, so much, they're inundated with, with surveys. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I have a whole section on here. I, I just want to share with you some of these stats. Um, oh gosh, come on. If I can't, oh, so nope, that's not it. Don't make me wait. Respect my time communication. <laughs> well, you know, I probably ought to look in the table of contents and, uh, there we go. Survey surveys, the importance of not, no, where, oh, there we go. All the way back on page 28. By the way, our report is available free of charge. All you have to do is go to uh, hiking.com and just click on um, sur- uh, research and you get it. Uh, here we go. Page 28. I sure hope, or did I make a mistake? And I can tell there you, audience, I'm looking at this uh, report. Quite robust. It seems like there's a lot of valuable data in there. Well, thank you. Yeah, we took a lot of time. I think the hardest part isn't doing the survey. It's writing the the notes and what I think is important and distilling it down. Do you know, we have literally tens of thousands of lines of data because we break every question up and we interview well over a thousand customers. And we ask, even though it's like 26 questions, which is a long survey, we get a lot of information sometimes within each question. Here's interesting. 44%, this is B2C. This is general gen pop. 44% of customers say they always complete a customer satisfaction survey. I find I must ask the question the wrong way because I think that's crazy, really. Because hardly any companies ever said, oh yeah, we get almost half of our surveys returned. Uh, In the B2B world, I'll bet the number is really pretty high though because you're very careful who you send it to and and sometimes you don't have a, a wide audience to send it to. Yeah, yeah. And if you're doing uh, applying all these other best practices around uh, maximizing survey response rates, you can you can absolutely hit 60, 70, 80% of your customer base represented in the survey data. Yeah. 21% say they never complete surveys. Uh, 34% say they're too long, so they just don't complete them. Uh, here, here's one. Uh, 57% of customers assume the company won't make any changes based on the responses to the customer satisfaction survey. That's because there's no follow-up, what you just talked about a moment ago. 
Yeah, and unfortunately, too many companies prove them right, right? Where they yeah. collect the feedback <laughs> and then they don't do anything with it. That, and I think that's a cloud over the entire industry. So I hope people change. If you're not going to action, it shouldn't do a survey in the first place. Yep. And 59% to that point say uh, they don't ever hear back from the company after they complete the survey, which gives them reason to probably think, maybe I don't want to keep doing this again and again and again. It's, you know, it's Groundhog Day. I fill it out. I take the time. I never hear. I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Our clients actually response rates improve over time because they demonstrate that commitment, mm. truly listen, listening and acting. So more so, and more customers over time are more likely to uh, spend a minute or two providing that feedback. Right. I love it. And do you, uh, so I know we talked about mobilizing the promoters, you know, by calling them and saying, okay, who would you, who would you recommend us to? Somebody gives you a one or a two, obviously you've got to jump on the phone and find out what's going on. You know, that's yeah. pretty low. A and zero, you have, oh my gosh. You know, I mean, in, in, they're, they're trying to tell you something if they're scoring you a zero, right? They're sending a clear message. Uh, and, and, you know, the likely to renew question similar that can be applied to the likely to recommend is an important one in B2B uh, and can give you tremendous insights there. And if, if a company is scoring you low on likely to recommend or likely to renew, you really need to connect with them within 48 hours, preferably even 24, because that, right. that accounts at risk and, and they might very well terminate the engagement. Good timeline. Do you recommend, uh, I mean, depending on the size of your audience, would you recommend a particular survey? Um, I, I'm not specifically asking for the brand, but a program that will allow subsequent questions to change based on the question and how they answered it. Like if I give you on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood you'd recommend? And I, and I put down a 10. Fantastic. I'm glad you were happy. Is there one thing you can think of that would make it even better? But if I put down a six, oh, is there one thing you can think of that would have made you give us a seven or an eight? I mean, there's these different programs that allow those subsequent questions to change. Do you like that or do you like to be consistent with, with everything? No, we, we do like that. I mean, consistency is important in some regards, but you have to have that dynamic approach, right? Where uh, different questions are, are posed depending on their response to prior questions or things branch so that different contexts see different sets of questions. As a simple example, you have a budget holder or a decision maker. They should not see the same questions as the user of the software. Mm. user's experience is going to have, and they're going to have very different uh, set of needs the user will than the decision maker will. So our surveys do get a, a lot, uh, quite a bit uh, complexity in them. The respondent doesn't experience that complexity, but on the design process up front, there has to be those considerations where you're right, uh, dynamic questions are, are popped up or uh, branching happens so that different people see different questions in the survey. Right. And, and I'm, I'm right now, my head is heading toward like, um, you have, um, a, a couple walks into an automotive dealership and uh, the car is for one or the other. Okay. One of them is the user and the other one may or may not be, but let's say one is the economic buyer. Okay. Whoever is the one who has the job and the other one is going to use the automobile. They're two completely different customers. And you've got to appeal to both of them. Uh, ideally, you want the same result, but you have to appeal to them differently. And when you go to survey them and get information, um, you know, you're probably talking to the economic buyer, you're going to ask about the value they receive. But to the end user, the one who's actually using and driving the automobile, you want to talk about the experience they're having. 
Um, that's exactly right. And in B2B, that's you know one of the biggest sort of nuances of B2B. You have to look at things at an account level and mm-hmm. as well as at a contact level in different groups because um, at an account, a customer account might have 10 different people that have a strong say over whether that customer is going to retain or renew their engagement with you. So you have to survey and ask feedback from different audiences, influencers, champions, decision makers, subject matter experts, users. That's why it's more complex and more uh, nuanced in B2B than in B2C. Yep. All right. Well, believe it or not, we're over time, not just out of time. But what I want to do is end the same way I always do. And that is that one nugget of information. And I love that you have listened to the show before because I warned you that I was going to ask you this question and you said, oh yeah, I'm ready for that. So I can't wait for what you've been thinking about. <laughs> Got to come prepared. There you go. So what is that one thing? I don't want to sound rehearsed. No, uh, the one thing is uh, companies survey their customers, but sometimes overlook the insights that their employees have. So mm. don't forget about your employee's voice and not around like employee engagement or how they feel about working with companies. That absolutely should be done. But what I'm referring to is ask them how they think the customers could be better served. Ask them if they're facing obstacles that uh, ultimately impact the customer experience. There's a number of questions that you can ask your internal talent around the customer experience that will give you great insights. So don't forget about them. Well, and that is a powerful insight and a perfect one to end on. Evan, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Chef. Really enjoyed it. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We will be back next week with another interview, and I promise it will be just as good as this one. Until that time, this is Chef Hyken, and I am reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.